Good morning, church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, those who are visiting us today, thank you for coming. Um, my name is Jezza Garcia, and uh, Pastor John is not here today, so he is on a trip and taking some time off. And, and I got you, you guys stuck with me. So, But, yeah, we're, I'm very excited. You know, not many times I got to come, and I'm always excited when I come up here. And uh, first of all, you know, uh, some of you guys don't know this, but <clears throat> we are, excuse me, we are, um, it's been 16 years that I've been working as your youth pastor here at Hannaford, serving in that capacity. And um, we talk at the church, with the leadership of the church, and that changed. So we hired Ben Tolickson, and he is our new youth director, and then I got to do something different, so I will be associated pastor, and it's been a great journey already, you know, I'm very excited, and I say this because a lot of you brought your kids to our youth group, and I want to say, bottom of my heart, thank you so much for trusting me that I would not hurt your kids or break their legs or something, all those years, they did okay, right? Yeah, no suing, but... It was great 16 years, and I'm joining a different journey. You know, I talked to a lot of you. Some of you guys had this conversation where I was, you know, I'm a, I have a very skeptical personality in, in, in terms of my faith, okay? Um, if there's someone I didn't find in the Bible, it would be Thomas. You know, I was doubting, and, you know, and for me to do this, I pray a lot, and, and, and I jump in. You know, someone talked to me one day at the gym, and he said, you got to just do it, man. And now that's what I need to hear that day. So I'm very excited. Um, so this is it. So, um, you know, I grew up in Brazil, and some of you guys know this. And one of the things that I, I love about growing up, being a kid in the 80s, was the fact that we are always together with other kids. So we have a rule in Brazil that you only, uh, actually not a rule, but something that your mom will talk to you, and she'll say, when it gets dark, that was a, a thing. When it gets dark, you've got to come in, okay? So you play outside the whole time. So if you're at home, it's kind of an interesting idea. If we're at home, we're always doing something that would drove my mom crazy. So what she would do is say, just play outside. Go play outside. So you're going to play outside, and I'll come back and say, Mom, what should I do? She's like, I don't know, play with a stick. So you grab a stick, and you do something, and then you join other friends, and you'll be hanging out with a bunch of the neighbors. In my street, there was tons of kids. We hang out. And we spend the whole day after school, and we would just come home at night. You know, it was so exciting growing up in that environment. And I remember feeling so sad when my friends had to go back inside. You know, one of the things that was interesting in, in Brazil, they, uh, at one point, so we were all hanging out and doing things outside, and people really love to watch this thing. It's, uh, I think it's called soap opera. You know, um, some of you guys seen those Mexican ones. Uh, Brazilians are very similar. They watch that on TV instead of watching uh, Big Brother or whatever. Watch that thing, right? Which is kind of we all. So, and then there's one particular one that the, the, some of the kids were really excited about it. And then, so what we'll do? We'll six o'clock at night, and in Brazil it gets dark about seven. And I remember about 5.30 or so, the kids were like, ah, we got to go home to watch the thing. And I remember a few of the boys were like, oh, man, this, this is really bad. We like to be together. So one day I said, well, me and my friends were talking about it. It's like, maybe we should resolve the situation. What if 
you know, then I had this great idea. So I got in my bicycle, had a chain, and I took the chain off of the bike. And when all the kids are going back to watch TV, I went to the power line, and I swing that, you know, and see, I was 11 years old, 12 years old, and I already knew about how electricity works. So I swing that chain, and I hit the two power lines, and then the it just clipped, and then the whole entire street had no power. So problem resolved. We all start hanging out, but half an hour later, they figure out who it was, and then you have a knock on the door, and then I got in trouble. That's what I got it from, you know. So, but at least I can get hang out with my friends for half an hour more. So it was great. So the reason I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this with you is because we're experiencing one thing that we call the paradigm shift. And you probably already heard that term. It's one thing that's happening always culturally that we experience. Uh, some of you guys are the previous generations, other generations, you know, and you see that. There are so many of those what we call paradigm shifts. It's something that happens culturally that changes the way you experience life. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you experience life. And some of you are going to say, no, 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 I refuse all that change. But the interesting thing is when there is a cultural shift, oftentimes we don't even know we're in it. We just do it. Right? And we're experiencing this cultural shift. And this started, you know, if you look back in your life, there's always an event that happened in a society that made that cultural shift, that paradigm shift. You know, if you remember, the most recent that we have was 19, oh, 19, 9-11, right? When 9-11 happened, it changed the way we think about security. It changed the way we live our lives completely. But then we have other things that are happening in our society since then. And we are living in a time, in a paradigm shift, where we become extremely, extremely individualistic. We went from living as a community to experience life individually. And that is paradigm shift. If you, you can say, well, maybe that's caused because COVID. But if you think about it, the paradigm shift happened before COVID. Obviously, COVID has a huge impact on that since the last few years. We become more and more individualistic. It means that more than before, the world is so much into individual versus community-driven. Think about how you grew up. Think about some of the things you experienced. And also you can see more and more we're introduced to this consumer-driven society where we see things as a perspective of a consumer. What do you have for me? What do you have for me versus what I have to offer to our society? This is a huge impact. And if you remember in previous generations, it used to be the many generations ago where people will find their meaning and the purpose through relationships and community. So they associated their experiences in, in church, their experiences in school. It always was related to the community environment. And since today, we can see it that the direction of how we see community is very different. It's more inward. It's about the individual creates this purpose and this meaning himself or herself. So we are looking for that purpose. You know, I remember when Grandpa uh, in Brazil, he, 
he grew coffee. So he had um, 19 kids. So, say mom, yeah. So, 19 kids. So my dad had 18 brothers and sisters. And dad, my grandpa grew coffee, and that's what my, my, my dad grew up doing too. And, and one of the things that is it, interesting, I was thinking about it, and I remember my, my grandfather, he worked his whole life, you know, and that's what he did. That's what he knew to do. One of the fascinating things I love about going to grandpa's house when he was alive, it was we're getting there, we always have fresh coffee, you know, and it was just a great environment to be. But I never had a chance to ask that question. But if I ask my grandpa, Grandpa, are you satisfied with your life? Do you find satisfaction in what you do? And you might be thinking about maybe someone in your family, if you asked that question back then, they would be as confused as my, grandpa, my grandfather would be. If that question is asked, are you satisfied with what you do? Is the, 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 the purpose of your life, are you satisfied with that? They do not understand. My grandpa would not understand that question. You know why? Because his cultural view, his perception of his job, his purpose was not inward driven. It was not inward directed. It was not about him. If he could answer that question, he would say, well, you know, I am producing coffee, so I'm helping my community. I'm feeding my kids. They're not starving. So, yeah, I'm satisfied with and, and have purpose. But today, if that question was asked, are you satisfied with yourself? Maybe you can ask that yourself, that question. It's usually you satisfied. If the question is asked, if you're satisfied with yourself, you're going to think about your internal experience not how you are affecting the society. Because it's how we feel emotionally satisfied. And if you ask about marriages, relationships, and that would be also a struggle. Because it's not fulfilling inward, then it's not working. It's never about what you are producing for the community and how you respond to the community. How your part in the community has been good for other people. It's always about your satisfaction. And I struggle with that. And you might say, well, maybe um, I'm in from a different uh, background, the way I grew up, and a different age group. See, that's the problem because you are living on that cultural shift, that paradigm shift that's happening today, even though maybe you're from a different generation, the way you see life, it's the same. You might have some difference here and there, but the way we think culturally is the same. No matter what generation you're in, you are being influenced by this idea that it's all about me. It's a culture shift. If you think for a second how we're becoming so individualistic and self-sufficient, think about your own life on this. And here's the interesting thing. If you are into marketing, you can understand this. Companies... They spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to understand one thing. You know why they do their job? It's to think how you think and to do, to sell their product in a way they think it's going to be appealing to you. And they spend money, a lot of money to understand that huge question. How can I get you to, to buy my product? And they understood one thing, that we are becoming self-sufficient. 
more individual driven. Here's why. Look around you. Amazon. You buy everything from Amazon, right? I buy everything from Amazon. I talked to someone who works for the post office, and he said, I'm going to quit because he has always these packages of dog food and soda pop. And, you know, it used to be that his job was just put a, a letter on a little box. Now everything is Amazon. We buy everything. Why? They understood that we do not want to go shopping. Well, some of us buy, we don't like anyways. But they're trying to figure out, they, they know you like that, and they're saying, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do a way that you don't have to leave your home. You can just go on your computer and order everything, even food, from Amazon. If you look at it, you know, and this is an influence a little bit on society when it comes to um, big companies like Walmart and Target. You know, now they have a thing, uh, it's called Drive Up. Right, you call in, people are doing groceries for you. What an awesome thing. You don't have to go do grocery shopping. You don't have to hang out with other people. Why? I mean, by the way, when I go grocery shopping, I spend, I mean, it, even anything I do nowadays, I like to talk. I like the community thing. So when I go to the gym, I, my, my wife, I come home, I was like, you're not even smelling sweaty. It's because the whole time I'm talking. Right? If I'm sweaty, I'm doing something wrong, so I got to get out of there. But same for, they're understanding that. We're becoming more and more individualistic. And, and think about those things. So they're spending a lot of money into that. Zoom meetings. I mean, this is a, probably a fruit of a, something very recent, which was the COVID. But that's more and more is pushing. We're forced to be more individualistic driven. I mean, if you talk to you guys what a Zoom was, you thought it was probably something they use on your camera, you know. But now we're all having meetings like that or people who are mobile workers, right? They go from place to place. They can take their own work, whatever they want. Very interesting. But you get it, my point. We're in this paradigm shift, and it's affecting culturally, and it's going to affect forever. And you can go against this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It doesn't matter. Culturally, it's going to affect you. It's affecting you the way you see it, even if you deny it. But the question is, what can we do about it? And how this individualistic idea is ungodly, this consumer view impact the church? How this idea, this affects our church, like universal church, the church that Jesus dreamed about. It, it has a tremendous impact. And we have to rethink that, the idea of individualistic idea when we come to church. You know, and, and that tension, I, I want to create that tension in our hearts that we can think about as individual. How are we doing with that? How we see our purpose in this world. In Romans 12, Paul talks about that. He talks about the heart of God when it comes to his church. And before you understand this, you got to remember in Romans chapter 12, before you read that, there is a, from, it's the most amazing uh, systematic theology uh, about God, right? The study of God from chapter 1 to chapter 11. It's the complete package from sin, man, man, uh, men falling from God's grace all the way to redemption. So Paul spends 
all those 11 chapters talking about theology. He's talking about God, his plans for you. He's talking about where you are in the plan of God. And then he stops in chapter 12 as if he says, now that you learn everything about God, now that you understand the plans that God has for you, let's talk about your purpose in this world. And here's how he starts. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're going to focus on the chapter, on the verse 1, and then we're going to move on. But essentially what he's saying here is, therefore, so after all that I tell you, all the things that I told you about who God is, about his plans that, I, that, that he has for you, so we're going to talk about, I urge you, I beg you, some passages, some ver- uh, different versions of the Bible says, I beseech you. I beg you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What he's saying here is, in view of God's mercy, after all that you experience about God, after all you learn about what he has done for you, all you learn about all what sin can do for you, in, God's, in the view of God's mercy, now that you understand all that, I beg you. And he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. So he's saying, after all you experience, after you see all what God has done for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So for Paul, this is presenting yourself completely to God as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. You give everything. That's what sacrifice means. For the Romans, they understood that. They did a lot of sacrifices. But what Paul is saying is, you are a living sacrifice. It's day by day that you're dying for yourself, for your own desires. And Paul is saying, nothing less, nothing less is expected from you. Give everything. And that's the proper worship. So first of all, I want you to be thinking of this. Have you surrendered everything to God? Have been offering your bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Have you surrendered your fears? Have you sacrificed all your desires and the ungodliness or even the good things like your family, your views, your worldview? You know, I um, I got to experience something very new. Um, my two sons are playing sports now, and, um, and they're playing soccer. So um, I play soccer my whole life, and I'm giving opportunity, opportunity to other people to tell my kids what to do. I think it's good for them. And at this point in my life, I wanted them to like the sport. But it's fascinating. When you, if you guys had a chance to experience that, it's a great experience because 
You know, the kids were playing, and it's so interesting to see what they do on a soccer field at the little age. So I want to thank Mike. M Michael is uh, his uh, soccer teacher. He's sitting right there. But he has the patient I don't have. But here's what happens. So you have six kids, one on each side, and I'm sitting on the sideline, and you have all the parents around telling the kids where to go, what to do, right? And the picture I have, and I have his coach, Michael, telling, him, telling the kids, okay, kids, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And then I look around, because kids are that way. So one kid is doing pickback ride to another kid. My son is inside of the goal chewing the gnat, right? So then you have other kids like holding each other's ears and playing and two kids wrestling. And poor coach is telling kids, got to do this, guys. Come on, get up. You can't do this. And this kid's all doing that. So all these other parents telling the kids, come on, guys. Ah, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is funny, you know, because I don't have to do that. So I'm sitting there like, poor Michael. But anyways, and I, I'm seeing watching this, but it's fascinating to watch. And then my wife takes my kid, the oldest one, to play. And then he goes there. And then the whole entire time, you know, he's the, the, his team is doing something, and he's talking about video game to his friends. And he gathers a bunch of kids, and he's telling about how his video games experience, which for me is like, it, it looked like he, they're, they're, they play, that's all they do in my house, which is not true. They don't all play video games, but if they play for one hour, they talk for 10 days about it. So this kid is like, this, he's, that's his worldview. He's talking about video games nonstop, and then his mom's like, ah, oh, you know. So when he comes out and she says, don't talk about video game and listen to your coach. Great advice. So I go in the next week. So I'm there. So I'm sitting there and I'm just watching from a long distance. And all the parents are lined up with their chairs, you know, and I'm in the back. And then my son, I mean, he is in the far end. Of and he screams as loud as it could be. He says, hey, dad. You know, and I'm like, hey, son. And he does this. And he's like, guess what? I'm not talking video games, and I'm listening to my coach, <laughs> right? And everybody looks at you it's like, ah, man, gee. But you get it. So what Paul is saying, how does this relate to God? Some of us have been coming to church. We call ourselves Christians, but you didn't surrender everything. It's like the same as my son. He's there, but he's not really there. His mind is not there. His soul is not there. He's thinking about something totally different. He forgot about the purpose of being a soccer player. But as sometimes we deal with that with church. We have this individualistic mind, and I struggle with that. Come to church, we expect that everything will be serving towards us, versus we are a church. We offer that worship to God together. We are part of the church. You give your whole self in. That's what sacrifice is. That's sacrifice is. It says to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. When you offer yourself, your whole self, the totality of who you are as a sacrifice, God will transform you. He will transform you. He redeems you. He will make you holy. Not perfect. And he says, this is your true and proper worship. In other words, he's saying, presenting yourself as a sacrifice to God is the most reasonable thing that you can do given that you understood what God has done for you. 
If you understand what God has done for you, and that's Paul's case here. He's saying, I spend all these chapters telling you guys about how you are a sinner, then you have to surrender to God. Now it's time for you, to, if you surrender everything to Him, if you embrace that idea, if you give your whole self in, making a sacrifice for Him, it's not crazy. It just makes sense. I remember when I accept Christ, and, and I have to go through that process, I was not like all of a sudden I became a Christian and everything was great, right? It was a, slowly, a slow process. But what I experienced, I had a friend, my best friend, and he completely changed, uh, God completely changed his life. He understood what the gospel meant. And then all of a sudden, he started to get rid of things in his house. He just radically changed. There is a change of perspective. His per- perspective changed. And he was completely changed. He made a sacrifice to say, you know, I have all those things I like, but I want to give everything to God because I understood what God has done for me. And it was not irrational to do that. When you make a decision to follow Christ, when you surrender everything to Christ, sacrificial love, giving yourself wholly to God, it just makes sense. It's not a crazy thing. He says it's the proper worship, the reasonable way to doing. So what it means then to live in the sacrifice, sacrificial love, living in sacrifice for God, to God. Verse 2, he means this. This is what he means. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. He's good, pleasing, and perfect will. The idea is that you get transformed by God and you die to yourself. You die to yourself. And you are transformed by God and not conformed into the world. You know, a lot of times people say, do not conform to the pattern of this world. They automatic think politically. Because it's so recent for us. And sometimes it is. But we got to think beyond that. we got to think about our, what's out there that's simple. I have kids growing up in this world, and I'm like, oh my gosh, God, please help those kids. Help them. Help them in their decision to walk with you, because it is a hard world to live in. Sacrificial. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed. It's either you... Conform to the patterns of the world where you'll be transformed by God. In Galatians 2.20, there's a parallel with that passage that says this. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, if you understand this, giving yourself wholly to God, it just makes sense. We still have our personalities, but something radical happened when you trust Jesus Christ. The focus from self, the world, the pleasure, what's good for us, that focus turns towards God, what's pleasing to Him. 
what's in his heart. And that's the question that we have to ask in the way we're living, in the paradigm shift that we're experiencing. What is the important thing to God? What he wants us to do in reflect to our culture. It's so hard for us. In this individualistic idea, the way of life, the way life is going, it's the whatever makes me happy, right? We, I work with teenagers for 16 years, and that's the message they hear daily in schools. Whatever makes you happy. God wants you to be happy. And it's just not kids. Some adults, they feel that way. It's like, well, God wants me to be happy. I'm not happy in my marriage. Is that really what it means to be a Christian? You die for I can do whatever I want. You're no longer living. It's Christ living in you. And your mind has been renewed when you accept Christ. You have to think differently. Here's what it says. For by grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul is saying, now that you present your body as a sacrifice, now that you have God has changed the way you think, it's time for you to humbly accept the fact that it's not about you. You have to join the party. Join the other believers. And this idea of thinking, thinking differently, is the idea of taking from a word Greek called metanoia, which means change of mind. It's changing the way you think. If you used to do certain things with your life that was not pleasing to God, you have a change of mind, then you're doing other things that are pleasing to God, not pleasing to you. Even the good things has to be pleasing to God. has to be pleasing to Him. For by grace given, I say to everyone of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober thinking. That's what it means. Sober thinking. And that's the key word, think. If you think of yourselves as part of the body of Christ, you're going to be serving one another because that's the desire. That's the mindset that Christ has. You're not going to be thinking how you can be served, but you're going to be thinking, I'm part of this. That's the mindset of Christ. And guess what? In this paradigm shift that we're experiencing, it's countercultural. It goes totally against the thinking of the world. You want, you want to know why? Here's what says, there is a parallel to that. In Philippians chapter 2, Verse 1 to 8, he says this. I think he repeats. All right, never mind. So, therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. It's in God's heart. You experience all the things with God, then do this, he's saying. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfishness, selfish ambition, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you in interest of others. In your relationships, very specific, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What he did. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equally with God something to be used his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by making, by taking the very, oh, sorry, self-nothing, but taking the very nature of servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Church, that's the mindset of Christ. That's the mindset. That's the way of thinking. Servant way of thinking. He's saying, if you experience all those things about Christ, if you can experience his love, his mercy, it just makes sense that you do like as I did, which he was God. And still, he humbled himself. It's countercultural. The world will tell you to hate. They will. Someone do it, something to you, do it back. Vengeance. Totally against the scriptures. If you disagree with me, the Sermon on the Mount is full of countercultural things. In the heart of Jesus, how to do, how to live in this society. And it's really, really hard. I told my daughter, uh, she was messing with, uh, irritating my son. And she was doing that. She's like me. I have one, one kid in my family that's very like me. And she likes to tease and do that. And it even was annoying me in the fact that I said to my son, and then I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? I said, just go and punch her back. And he did. He went there and just punched her in the stomach. And then I'm feeling like, what am I doing? We're influenced by that, but it, that's what Paul is saying. We have to think like Christ. We have to have this sacrificial love in us. Sacrificing. And it is countercultural. Society is not going to tell you to do those things. They're going to expect you to fight back and do things and hate. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith distributed to each of you. He's saying the standard of the gospel, the heart of faith of Christianity is a king who came to serve. God himself, a servant to death. It's the only God that did that. We have to be like-minded. Think like Jesus. Have the same mindset. Serve like him all the way. It's not about you. It's not about you. You are not the full package. I'm sorry. If you believe, if you're a believer, if you surrender to Christ, if you have renewed mind, but you're not serving, engaging on the ministry of God, the, Paul is saying you're out of your mind. It does not make sense. And in the verse 4 and 6, he says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, so many, 
form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Paul, Paul is realizing that we are all different. We have different gifts. When you accept Jesus Christ, God has been giving you a gift, a spiritual gift. And you have to figure out what that is, that you can apply that to where you are. And that's the idea. And Paul is really concerned with the fact that there's no unity in the church. He's saying we are one body, even though we're different people, we are one body in Christ. We're one body. He's concerned about that. There's a fascinating passage. I love that passage, John chapter 17, when Jesus is talking specifically. He was praying to God and specifically talking about unity. I mean, Jesus could ask so many things. Okay, so if you're leaving the world, you're going to die, you know, all that. So you're going to pray to God for something. I would pray, hey, God's, uh, God, please keep all the apostles safe. That's, that would be my prayer. Keep all the apostles safe. That there's no persecution. Uh, that the church will grow. You know, and I'll have all the, that would be my prayer request. But you know what the prayer request that Jesus had in the chapter 17 of John? He says that he says, he says this, as you, meaning God, you and me are one. I pray that the church also be one. That was his prayer request, that we will be united. That's God's desire. Man, in contrast with the world, there's so much division, even in a church. Even in a church. The world will tell you that you are the complete package. You are the complete package. You don't need anybody. Just live your life individualistic. You don't need church community. You don't need one another. It's all about you. It's all about you. I have this Lego piece. Um, you know, in my house, if you go in my house, you find this all over the place. And the weirdest spots of the house. We have a whole room for Lego, but still, somehow they crawl up all the way upstairs, and we find some underneath our couches, in the corners, all over the place. And then you step on those. Childbirth, femur, broker, broken, kidney, and then Lego. Step you on a Lego. It has sharp edges. And I was thinking about myself. I'm like that. When I'm alone, I just serve to be around the corners. I know that God loves me and he cares for me, but I have so many sharp edges. But what's the purpose of the Lego? And I was just thinking about that. And it's made for something so much bigger. For something way bigger than just a piece of Lego. And that's who we are in the church. If you surrender your life to Christ, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, if you understood his love for you, if you understood the mercy of God, it just makes sense to be part of the body. You cannot be alone. Let's push away this individualistic idea, this paradigm shift, and be one as Christ and the Lord are one. 
I want to encourage you as a church to join the party as we're in this new idea, this shift that we are, that we counterculture that idea with the idea that God created you to be together, to be in community, to encourage one another, to be part of something bigger. Let's pray. Father, um, we surrender everything to you. We understand we have a God who came to earth and gave everything for us. You die on a cross for our sins. You surrender to die on a cross for us. And the Father gave it all for our sins. Now we understand that, Lord, and at times we need to come back and keep surrendering to you, to your desires, to your will. And by your mercy, help us to understand that message. And if we do, it just makes sense. It just makes sense to serve one another, to love one another, to figure out we are part of something bigger than us and we are not the full package. In Jesus' name, amen.